My name is Zeke. I'm from high school ministry. And I'm going to be reading a passage. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When, they, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We could tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Genesis 37, 17 through 24. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> My name is Rob Fraser. I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point. Thank you, Zeke. Great job. And he was wearing the right jersey, by the way. So <laughs> we're going to talk about football for the next 45 minutes. No. Hey, so a kid not much older than Zeke is 17 years old, and he finds himself in a pit thrown into this well. What is it that a 17-year-old kid has to do to his siblings to be in that position? And what is it all about these dreams that he was reading about? It's hard for me to relate how the sibling rivalry, how siblings would want to hurt uh, one another. Well, except that one time when my sister, who's six years younger than me, was chasing me around the house with a knife when she was like five or six years old. Uh, I probably deserved it, though. This isn't being recorded, right? All right. When I think about a pit that I've been in, it hasn't been a literal pit. It's been figurative, right? So maybe that time, you know, in high school where I go to the, a dance with this girl and I was just smitten and a couple days later, uh, we're out at lunchtime and I see her over there with this guy and she's holding his hand and she's nuzzling up to him and I'm just devastated. And in need of great consolation, I go to my closest friends, my cousin, and we're sitting in class just before the teacher starts to speak, and we all lean in together, and my good friend encouraged me and says, hey, it looks like Rob's dreamboat has turned into a shipwreck. <laughs> so from that point on, she was unaffectionately known as shipwreck. I think about something more sobering, more serious, that his parents, once upon a time, years ago where there was a time where we didn't know the future of one of our kids and we were devastated and we had so many questions and no answers and you would find us sobbing on the couch or just sprawled out on the floor and desperate pleading with God what is going on what about you what pit have you been in in your life you know, all you have to do is scroll through social media and see that you're not living up to the expectations of others. Why are they in Hawaii for the 15th time this year? I haven't even made it to Lake Hemet. How is this fair? <laughs> Why am I the only person not invited to that party? Why is my kid not achieving like their kid? Why is their kid doing so well and my kid can barely make it through the third grade? Maybe you struggled with infertility. Maybe you struggled with a disease. 
Maybe you've had crippling depression. These are the moments when we look around and sometimes we look up and say, God, where are you? Why am, in the, why am I in this pit? Why am I at the bottom of this well? And you feel rejected, that you have no value, that nobody wants anything to do with you, or you feel abandoned like you just hear crickets. God has completely disappeared. Zeke read from the book of Genesis, and 25% of the book of Genesis covers the Joseph story. And Genesis is a long book. It's 50 chapters. So there's something very important about this story. So a little backstory on how he got into this pit, right? He has this really a, a reality TV show that he grows up in, which is not very real. His dad's a guy named Jacob. His mom is a woman named Rachel. Now, Rachel wasn't Jacob's first wife. It, she was his second wife. And his first wife actually was his aunt. So that's kind of odd. But even more bizarre is that they were married simultaneously, right? So Jacob had worked for years to earn Rachel's hand in marriage for his father-in-law. And he wakes up the morning after his wedding and realizes he's been tricked and that the father has given him his sister. So now he has to work another seven years for her to be his bride. And so now he's married to his two sisters, sister wives. It's crazy stuff. One of them he loves, one of them he doesn't love. And so in this really odd situation, this sister who is not loved, the older sister Leah, knows that the one thing that she can do is to bear sons for Jacob. And she's excelling at that. And Rachel is desperate. And she prefers to die as opposed to not being able to give him any kids. And so she enlists a surrogate, her servant. Hey, if you have kids through Jacob, then, you know, they'll count as mine. And so the competition is on. And Leah does the same thing too. So if you're doing the math at home, that's one husband with essentially four wives, and they end up with 12 sons plus daughters. What a disaster. The next tragedy in Joseph's life is that his mom, Rachel, dies in childbirth to his brother, Benjamin. And so think about that. What's it like at home now? There's three women left. Do they show any affection to Joseph? What about the siblings? Are they vying for attention? And then we find out that Jake, or Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. And we all know how well that goes. And if you are the favorite or, you know, if one of your siblings is the favorite in the household, somebody's going to hear about it. And Joseph ends up with this beautiful robe, this coat. So everybody can see, not only have they heard it at the breakfast table every day, that Joseph is the favorite. And he is despised. He's hated. And then the weirdest thing of all, Joseph has this dream. In fact, he has these two dreams in which he finds out that his father and mother and his brothers are someday going to bow down to him. Okay, think about you. Would uh, you react well if your sibling 
said to you, hey, someday you're going to bow down to me. Mm, wouldn't work so well in my house. And especially the second youngest of 12, right? That punk little kid, that little brother is telling you that someday you're going to bow down to him. Not working so well. So this is how we get to this point. Joseph is in a pit. And anybody can tell you that being in a pit is a bad place. A first grader can tell you that. In fact, my kid, when she was in first grade, the very first Sunday that we moved to this church in Washington, she came into the car and we said, Maris, what'd you learn at church today? Uh, we learned about a guy named Joseph and they threw him in a hole. Okay. Seven days later, I kid you not, what is the story that they hear in Sunday school? Daniel in the lion's den. Maris, what happened today in Sunday school? They threw him in a hole. So we had to explain to her. Now, the thing is, not every story in the Old Testament ends up with they throw them in a hole. <laughs> but for sure, you know that if you're in a hole, you're not in a good place. If you have a Bible with you, would you open up to the book of Genesis, chapter 37? There are Bibles like this underneath some of the seats in a basket. We're going to look at another passage later. So there's a table of contents at the very first couple pages. You can find out what page is that on. That's on. If you have one of these Bibles, we're looking at page 33. We're starting with verse 25. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. Chapter 37. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, Aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah, one of the brothers, said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Oh, how kind of them. So when Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes and lamented, the boy is gone, what will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in the blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message, look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. This kid is like 18 years old and his life is over. Sold into slavery. Was he arrogant as a kid? Maybe. 
Was he condescending to his siblings? Perhaps. But did he deserve to die? No. His life is over. He's been trafficked by his own flesh and blood. And I like to imagine this conversation that he has with God. Screaming, yelling, why me? What did I ever do to deserve this? Maybe he even went to that point and said, there's no God. If a good guy like me ends up like here, no way. God's not real. So you may have noticed that the beginning video told us that we're in the book of Acts. All right, so here's how we get there. If you are familiar with scripture, if you know this, you might know, wait a minute. Joseph is like 1,500 years before the book of Acts, right? So the story of Joseph in the book of Acts is being retold, right? Uh, The author of Acts is Luke, and he's recording a speech by this guy named Stephen. Now, retelling a story in the Bible is pretty common. For example, the books of Chronicles in the Old Testament retells a lot of 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, but it's written later And it's written a little bit differently. There's some perspective, some maturity, some time has passed. And so the author can look back and say, ah, this is what was going on. But let me share with you through this filter what I have noticed. So Stephen is this guy that we met last week. Uh, Pastor Steve talked about this. And he's a follower of Jesus. And we're told that he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's preaching the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's performing miracles. You can only imagine that people who are blind, whose bodies aren't working, the legs are broken, something deformity, that he is giving new life to people in desperate situations. Nonetheless, because of the fact that he is preaching Jesus, he is dragged by this tribunal, by the Sanhedrin, to make a defense. Who is this Jesus you're talking about? Why do you keep saying that he is Messiah. And so Stephen begins the speech that we started talking about last week, and he is making this connection with Scripture. And he starts off with the Abraham story. And Abraham, we find out, is being promised land and descendants and to be a blessing. Yet he's not really going to see most of that. This week we're talking about Joseph. Next week we're going to continue through that speech. We're going to go to Moses. But today, Joseph. So fast forward all the way to the book of Acts, chapter 7, page 910, if you have one of these Bibles. And Stephen is going to take what is about 13 chapters in Genesis and condense it into seven verses. (laughs) So you're going to miss a lot. You've got to go home. You've got to read this story. There's so many twists and turns we're not going to cover that are amazing. Acts chapter 7, verse 9. These patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. Right? We've, we've covered that. And then Stephen adds these words. But God was with him. Okay. Despised, rejected, abandoned, sold but God was with him. And there's more. The Genesis story covers things like the fact that his boss's wife makes a pass at him. He says no, and he's thrown into prison. 
And then while in prison, he interprets dreams for these, these two guys. One of them doesn't make it. But the other one gets out of prison and forgets about Joseph. So he's stuck there even longer. But God was with him. Are you sure about that? How is it that this guy has lived this life and you're telling me, Stephen, but God was with him? I don't see it. And then to make it even more difficult to understand, he was a good guy. He did so many things right, right? He, he went to college, he didn't do drugs, he ate healthy, he exercised, he had great church attendance. He gave a lot of money and he even donated time to the homeless shelter. All right, a little bit of creative license, but he was a good guy. Yet he was rejected, abandoned, and sold. So he's asking this question, I'm asking this question, where is God? Because we all know that when we say God is with us, that means that God has blessed us. And when we say God has blessed us, you know what we're talking about, right? We're doing well financially. I got a nice house. Kids are doing well, 401k, great job. That's what God blesses us means, right? Let's reread verse 9. These patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom. So that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. And what we don't read here that we cover in Genesis is the fact that while in prison, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And because of that, overnight, he goes from the prison cell to becoming the second most powerful politician in all of Egypt. I mean, overnight. Pharaoh gives him really nice clothes. Pharaoh gives him this gold necklace, probably season tickets. He gives him a chariot. He gives him a wife. And we find out that citizens have to kneel down when he passes by. That's a pretty good gig, right? I could get used to that. Not going to happen. And all this happens by the age of 30. Wow. Talk about your rags to riches story, right? That's almost kind of like worth it, right? To have an awful childhood, but he made it. He is loaded. He's got power. Life is good. All right, so we could end right here. Bad things might happen, but hey, someday you're going to make it big. God will bless you. This kind of sounds like the American dream, but you're missing the point. And the story's not over. Look at verse 11. But a famine came upon Egypt and Canaan. There was great misery, and our ancestors ran out of food. Jacob heard that there was still grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons, our ancestors, to buy some. The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and all his relatives to come to Egypt, 75 persons in all. So Jacob went to Egypt. He died there, as did our ancestors. All right, so we go back to the covenant. Pastor Steve talked about it last week, right? 
So God makes this agreement, this covenant with Abraham and says, hey, one day, ancestors, lands, blessing to the entire world. But it looks like a couple generations, this promise is about to die because there is famine. And when there's famine, there's no food, you're, you're going to die. Life is over. It seems like God's promise, God's covenant is about to come to an end. But famine cannot st stop our God. And God puts Joseph into an entirely different country for such a time as this so that his siblings, his family will live. And these 12 guys, these 12 brothers, they become the patriarchs, the, the fathers of Israel, the 12 tribes. So God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And we're not talking about money. And everybody knew that God was with Joseph. The prison warden, Potiphar, and even these words. Ready? Figure out if you, see if you can figure out who says these words. Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Was that one of the authors of the New Testament? That was the pagan king of Egypt. Noticing that this man is filled with the spirit of God. God is with you, my friends, in the pit and in the palace. God is with you in the pit or in the palace or your nice suburban home. God is with you in the lows and God is with you in the highs. And no, it does not guarantee an easy life. We probably won't understand the full story until eternity. Why is God doing these things? Because he's accomplishing his purposes. God has been working and is still working through history to reconcile mankind to himself. And in the meantime, there's going to be a whole lot of struggle. You think about, you know, an athlete who hurts themselves, who breaks a leg, for example. There's going to be a lot of pain and a lot of healing needed before that leg is fully restored. So in a much larger parallel, God is working through history and there's going to be a lot of pain until there's one day a healing, a full reconciliation. God is with us doesn't guarantee an easy life. You can ask us. God is with us and it doesn't guarantee an easy life. You can ask the Ethiopian Christians right now in Tigray, starving to death. You can ask Haitians who are desperately fleeing a crazy impoverished country so that their kids can have food. You can ask Jacob who lost his beloved wife and for many years lost his son. You can ask Joseph who did everything right pretty much and still was sold into slavery. And you can ask Stephen who is telling this story in Acts, spoiler alert, who's about to lose his life for preaching Jesus. Even though he's giving new life through the miracles that God is empowering him to do to give new life to those people, he's still going to die. In your pit, God is with you. 
So when you age, your back hurts a little bit more, you move a lot slower, you start to forget things. But one of the benefits of aging is that you've had a longer life in which to see God's faithfulness. So you may see God's faithfulness in your 20s, you add a few more decades, you're gonna see a whole lot more faithfulness. And you're probably gonna have a lot more questions that God will not answer or you will not get an answer to. Think of Abraham who was promised all those things and he got to see two sons. I wanna ask you if you have seen God's faithfulness, if those wounds from the past have healed up and scarred. And if you can see those scars as signs of God's faithfulness. I was washing the dishes a few years ago. I'm spinning this bowl in the sink. It hits the sink, cracks into two, and slices my hand. I went down, stitched it up, fortunately, and the doctor's like, you miss critical nerves by like a millimeter. So, you know, my rock and roll career is still promising. So <laughs> I can look back and see in a small way God's faithfulness every time I look at that scar. What about the big wounds? What about the big pits, wells that you've experienced in your life? Can you look back and see God's faithfulness? Unfortunately, I can't explain it all. The abuse, the divorce, the broken family, the death. Why? Sometimes we just will not get that answer this side of eternity. But in the other ways that God has been faithful, we can remember that God is faithful. He's accomplishing his purposes. And even in the worst possible situations, Romans 8 tells us that God will work through those things for your good, even if it hurts. All right, so what you're saying to me is if I'm as good as Stephen or if I'm as good as Joseph, that's when God will be with me, right? Is that what you're saying? Okay, God wants me to, to be a good behavior. Well, I think our answer to that comes at the very end of the Joseph story. Chapter 50 in Genesis. Verse 15 says, But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. For their sin in treating you so cruelly, so we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. Uh, he didn't say that. <laughs> they made it up. They see the writing on the wall. Their brother, the one they picked on, the one not only they picked on, but they sold into slavery, is now the second most powerful man in Egypt. And they swallow hard. We're in trouble. This is his chance. God's going to get us. Now, if you were in that situation and your siblings treated you like that, could you say that you wouldn't uh, want to inflict some pain? Verse 17. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. 
Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? See, I told you he was a good guy. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. Absolute undeserved mercy that he showed. He had his opportunity. And these, these 12 guys that trafficked their brother, these 11 guys, right? they became the patriarchs. These are the highly esteemed forefathers of the nation of Israel. <laughs> and this parallels the story of our relationship with God. And some of us see God as this tyrant that we have to cower to, that he's looking for that moment that you screw up and he's going to zap you. And sometimes we bargain with God and we manipulate him. Okay, God, if you... Do this, I swear, I will A, B, C, D, E. But that's not the relationship that God is looking for. Isaiah 53, telling of the suffering servant, foretelling of Jesus, tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, despised and rejected, understands what you and I have gone through, yet took up our pain, was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our sins. And 1 Peter says, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And your name is now child of God. This is a God that pursues you, that seeks you, that wants to know you and loves you so desperately. This is not the God who's looking after you to go after you. At this point, do you still think that you're not worthy? Do you still think that you've been rejected? At this point, Jesus says, you're just believing the father of lies. You're just believing Satan. And Paul, author of much of the New Testament, will be ticked off. I'm shocked, he says, that you are turning away so soon from God. Who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ? You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And he says, listen to this. Since we have been made right, with God, right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. My friends, we do not cower. We do not need to manipulate, to bargain. We receive God's grace. We believe in what he has done and his desperate love for us. You have been sought out. You have been chosen. When I was a fifth grade teacher, once upon a time, I read Anne of Green Gables to my students, and it's the story of this girl who's been orphaned. Her parents die, and then she's passed around 
from home to home and treated terribly. And ultimately, she finds an unlikely mom and dad that desperately love her and see the value that she has. And this week, it's not my story to tell, but I'm going to tell it because she's not here. Uh, Pastor Beth and her husband Joey, after a year and seven months, got to officially, legally adopt their daughter. So the next few years, from now on, Sophie gets to hear, you are chosen. They don't tell her, hey, you were abandoned. They tell her, no, we saw you, we looked at you, we wanted you, you are chosen. You are loved, you are protected, you are in this house. God knows your name. God is with you. So someday the pit that you are in now, someday the pit that you were in will be fully explained. But until then, we need to learn how to live well in the well. All right, that's my one point of creativity this morning. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. What are the things that we can do now? Talk with God. Be honest. Shout. Yell at him. Embrace him. Hold on to hope. Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord. My whole being, every ounce of me waits. And in his word, I put my hope. Remember your identity. You are purchased, chosen, loved, adopted, worthy, sought after, pursued. Have perspective. Whatever wounds that are still open right now, they will scar over someday. And as difficult and painful as they are, those scars will prove that God is faithful. Surround yourself with others that will cheer you on, that will be with you in the worst moments. Think of a coach, a personal trainer, who is cheering you on, pushing you through that pain to get you the results that you want. And then testify to other people about God's faithfulness right now. How has God been faithful? What are the wounds and the scars that you have that you can encourage others with? And remember this, this is your future. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. That is your future. The band's gonna come up right now and you're gonna have an opportunity to respond in worship. Cry out, be angry, Plead with God. You have the opportunity at four corners of the room to take communion. And you can do that for the first time. If you've never received the grace of Jesus Christ, if you've never received his gift of salvation, you just have to tell him, I can't do it. I need you. I'm going to read for you Psalm 43. Let's pray. Declare me innocent, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. For you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? 
Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, my source of all joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again and again, my Savior and my God. Jesus, this morning we come to you and you see the pit that we are in. And I know that you're calling me out and it might be out today or it may be a long time. But we know, God, that you are faithful, that you know me by name. And Jesus, we know that you are with me.